All right, welcome back to another episode of Creedle. I have a guest today who is just gonna talk to me about a ton of different things. She's written a ton of books. Uh, she's traveled around the world. She writes a blog and we'll talk all about those resources and how you can follow more of her work and read more of her books. But we're going to talk today about travel. We're going to talk about trading in your smartphone for a dumb phone. We'll talk about probably living liturgically. We'll talk about converting to Catholicism from Anglicanism. There's just, it's a, it's a smorgasbord of things. And I'm very delighted to welcome from the 106 degree city of Georgetown, <laughs> Texas, Tish Oxenrider to the show. Welcome, Tish. Hi, Zach. I'm so glad to be back at chatting with you tonight. Yeah. And and uh, to my audience, Tish is saying she's glad to be back because uh, some of you <laughs> listened to the predecessor podcast in many ways of this one vernacular that I ran with my wife, Sally, for a long time. I like to say that we were podcasting before it was cool, before everyone did it. We started a podcast in 2015, but just before I hit record, Tish, you were telling me that you have been podcasting since 2011. <laughs> so that's like the the OG, yeah, uh, that's the original, original podcasting. It's like time. the smoke signal days of Amazing. podcasting. Like I, used to, I still remember having to look up stuff. I mean, the tech, the technological hurdles were insane. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised I powered through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's cool because you've been doing it for 12 years. How many people can say they've been podcasting for 12 years? <laughs> right, I mean, it's, pro I it's probably like, it's probably like... less than a thousand people, mm -hmm. honestly. Maybe so. I mean, back in the day, that was a real unique feature to have, you know, with whatever it is you do online. And now, I mean, everybody has a podcast. It's not yes. interesting at all, right? I yes. mean, dogs have podcasts, literally. Yes. So I don't think I'm, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, there's a lot of fish in that ocean of podcasting but i still do it and i still enjoy it i mean this is one of my favorite things to talk to people i you know? completely so agree I'm, I'm grateful for it yeah i love doing my yeah, podcasting yeah. i uh this this will be the first episode that i release in quite a while i've had people writing in saying hey are you okay we've noticed you, the, the feed's been pretty quiet <laughs> and uh i've just said yeah. I mean, which is true uh work at, at hallow as you know tish has been crazy busy all all for good reason like hallow's doing great things and i'm proud to work there yeah um, but it's exploding between that and family stuff. It's just it's just a lot. So uh, the podcasting has taken a necessary yeah. backseat. But this is also one of my favorite things to do. I love I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, honestly, it was about 20, I guess, 2020, 20, 21, when I just decided to admit that I am a writer who podcasts and not a podcaster who writes. Okay. And so to me, my other work takes priority. And so yeah, like I'm I'm taking a break right now. So we're on a summer break from our show. And I, you know, do not apologize for that. I think <laughs> the podcast fits where we can. Yeah. And I think it's more than reasonable for people who have other jobs and wear many hats. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. On that yeah. note, uh, I know that you write a lot because you've turned out these books. For example, you also have this blog. I need you the, the, the quick, you know, five quick things, um, which is a great email. Uh, and I love the format of it as well. But at what point, or, or I guess you just said it was 2020, 2021 on, um, what made you realize I'm a writer who podcasts rather than the other way around? And then how did you lean into that? And I've been thinking about this because I also yeah. love writing, but it's hard for me to carve out the mm. dedicated time to practice that craft. So I yeah. have a sub stack. I've told listeners about it. Probably many have, have read a few things that I've written on there. But if you go on there and look at the published dates, you'll see that, you know, there's there are gaps of between two months and eight months between things that I publish on there just because it's hard for me to, <laughs> to carve out the time. So, you know, what advice do you have for someone who loves doing it and wants to do it more, but is having trouble finding the time. Yeah. Honestly, you know, I started writing online in 2007. So speaking of dinosaurs on the internet, um, back when we were evangelical missionaries overseas and um, I'll, I'll keep a very long story short. I was diagnosed with depression at the time and a therapist suggested that I find a creative outlet while we were living overseas. And my husband suggested, cause I was two or my oldest was two and I was pregnant with number two. Okay. So this was, you know, they were, I was dealing with little bitties at home. Um, my husband was like, hey, you've always liked to write. Why not start a blog? Yeah. And this was in the era when, I mean, blogs weren't new, but they were just starting, you know, and so it was a very right time, right place thing. Fast forward to 2019 when I basically started a Substack as well. Um, I had already created that email list, mm -hmm. the one you were just talking about, the five quick things, and I just moved it over to Substack. Um, with the intention of eventually shutting down my blog, which I did at the end of 2020. Okay. So I just write my Substack now, and which feels like blogging. It feels like yes. old school blogging in all the, I agree. the ways that was the best. Yep, yeah. I like it a lot. Um, it feels to me the way the internet should be. I say that really cautiously, though, because we've said that about everything, right? When it first starts That's out, I feel right. like um, my only 
bit of quote advice is for me, I can't not write because writing is how I think. Writing is how I process the world. It's kind of how I I am in the world in a way mm-hmm. vocationally. Sure. Um, and so for me, I write all the time, even when I can't help it. It's a matter of whether I publish it or not. Right. So what has helped me is I have enough people that would wonder why Five Quick Things doesn't come out on Friday mornings to force me to write a little bit. Okay. And then um, just because I have subscribers on, I've committed to an editorial calendar, which is very, it's like working out, you know, like I would not work out if I didn't say I'm going to the gym on this day and this day or, you know, do do my thing. So it's basically making an appointment with myself. I don't wait till I'm inspired because I never will, you know, get anything written. Um, And I definitely go through dry spells and, and, you know, seasons of like, I can't stop writing and both are great because they just make they force me to you know button chair hit publish yeah that's all i got really nothing no. magic okay uh yeah. I, I like the idea of an editorial calendar though and um I, I think it's good advice my wife has told me the same thing multiple times so i think i should just listen to her <laughs> and do it but yeah i mean i think committing yep. to something even recognizing look i might not feel passionate about this thing that i'm running about but i'm committed to doing it and i i just have to yeah. hang it out uh i think i've i think i might even share yep. this on the podcast one of my friends um with whom I did a collaborative podcast on Breaking Bad for several years. Um, he says the, the difference, and it's not his quote originally, I don't think, but he says the difference between a bad writer and a good writer is the good writer keeps writing. So the idea uh-huh. is you just you just have to practice the craft. It's just, there's no there's no yeah. shortcut. There's no magic words. It's just, just practice the craft and keep doing it and commit. Yeah, so I um, one thing that has genuinely helped me, because, you know, writing can be a pretty solitary act, um, both, you know, I mean, there are writers that go to coffee shops to solve that problem, but you're still writing by yourself. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Is I have a um, a group of ladies. These are these have become three very dear friends that are all we are scattered all over the country. I mean, mm-hmm. literally three of them are in just the three corners and um, we write together over Zoom almost every day. Wow. So we have the standing. We just have the standing meeting link. And we, it's open from nine to 11 and anyone who wants to write. And so you just, you know, we're at coffee shops, we're at the kitchen table, we're at wherever we can. And if someone needs to be on for 15 minutes, just cause they want to get this one thought out, yeah. but that's all they have the time for. It's great. Um, so yeah, we just write together. And then once a month we actually stop and we just have a meeting where we check in with how's the thing you're working on. And we go through four questions. Like it's very systematic. We call it cigar club because it's sort of like the, um, we, we imagine it like the old, you know, Downton Abbey days yeah. after <laughs> After dinner, you go to the drawing room and yes. discuss business. So it's our cigar club, and we just talk shop. And when you really, do this in person, do you adds... actually smoke cigars? No. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I want to be someone who likes cigars, but I'm just not. Yeah, Past the, that brief college, you know, foray into yeah. thinking those kind of things were cool, and of course they were like the cheap, nasty ones. Of course, just yeah. can't get into it. Yeah, that's. Totally I want to be fair. someone who's like that, but I'm just not cool enough. Are you into cigars? Uh, I would not say into no. I smoke probably one cigar every three years. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. So no. Right. No. No. Like weddings, yeah. you know, birth birth of of a friend's child, or if someone brings me cigars for the birth of one of my kids, I'll definitely smoke it. But yeah, I'm not into. Yeah. It. I do. I yeah. do pipe smoking a little more often, probably more like a couple times a year. Um, mm-hmm. but still, nothing. Not not with any degree of regularity. Well, and that looks cooler too. It I definitely mean, you've does. Got the yeah, Professor Tolkien vibe going whenever you bring out the pipe. I think. Yeah, speaking yeah. of Tolkien, this is a kind of an embarrassing admission on this podcast, and especially to you, who's a, a writer and a lover of literature. But I'm making my way through the Lord of the Rings for the first, well, going all the way through for the first time. When I first started right. it, first tried this in I think high school, I flamed out deep into the Two Towers, just sort of lost interest. I think when the narrative was back on Frodo and Sam. And I think I, <laughs> at that point in my maturity, I think I just didn't have an appreciation for the slower style of narrative storytelling that Tolkien is very good at, nor the intense drama in which Frodo and Sam are are bound in this whole in this whole epic. And now I have a much greater appreciation for that. So I just finished last night, The Two Towers, I'm about to begin The Return of the King. So I'm obviously committed this time. I'm going all the way through, but I love it. It's well so done. much fun. And um yeah, so the reference, all the references of the pipes there. I just, I like to, I like to sort of <laughs> see myself in in some in some small way reflected in you know Gandalf uh, thoughtfully puffing yeah. on his pipe. So, see, and you know, I will just say there is absolutely no shame in anybody not having read any classic. Like I'm, yes, I'm an English teacher. Yeah, I'm big into the classics, but to me, 
it's it doesn't do anybody any good to shame them into like, oh my gosh, you've never read that before. How could you? That's fair. That's to fair. me, I think of it as like what a treat you have in front of you yeah. if you've never read a classic. And I will fully admit I'm on, I think, chapter eight of Return of the King right now. Okay. I'm in the same boat. Nice. So I wow. am okay. I am for the first time I'm finishing the trilogy this year. So I will I cool. will hope I hope to finish it by the start of the next school year. Um which is rapidly approaching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. My son, my youngest son and my husband are fanatics and they're always talking about it. I mean, the nuance of yep. the books and yep. the details and stuff. And so they've, they've been begging me to do it. Like, you'll love it. And so I'm finally joining the are, cult. Are they into the Rings yeah. of Power, the new show? Or do they just, are they purists? They like the old movie? Or are they such purists that they don't like any of the cinematographic adaptations and just the um, books. no they're not they love the movie okay they love lord of the rings trilogy yep. we've never watched rings of power it felt a little bit do you remember when maybe not if you're not into this but do you remember when harper lee's second book came out ghost out of watchman i do not and okay all good so you know she wrote one book or published one book to right. kill a mockingbird yes well about five years ago or so a second book that she had asked never to be published was published because she it was published posthumously and a whole bunch of us literary nerds basically vowed never to read it because it's oh. like she didn't want us to read yeah, it. Yeah. Why would we read it? And so that's kind of the 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 I, the vein I'm in. Tolkien was such a purist about his work that it feels. <laughs> I know whoever's listening to this. If you like the Rings of Power, great. You know I'm not here to yeah. disparage that, but it's just not for me. Yeah. I guess I, I'm 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 loyal to the canon. But I will say my son and husband also. They don't hate the Hobbit movies like really? everybody okay. requires you to. They actually like it. There is a, a um, it's hard to find, but there is a video on the internet where somebody has edited that whole trilogy into one decently linked movie no way. that's according okay. to the book. Yeah, yeah. And it's really good. Okay. Actually, we've watched that and it's like, ah, oh, this feels more like the Hobbit. This is, so this is the way it should have been done. Yeah. I've, I, I have yes. not, uh, I've not watched the Hobbit movies because I'm just like, why would I, why would I spend whatever it is, seven hours of my life watching the trilogy? It's, of this it's one, it's like book. nine hours. It's so nine hours. long, crazy, I know. crazy. I think it. I think at this point, the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and the Hobbit trilogy, might they kind of just have on in the background. Hey, hey. Yeah, you know, like folding laundry movie yeah. to watch, or yeah. you know, whenever they're just doing, so just for the ambiance more. They've they've seen yeah. it so many times. That, so that makes sense. I have not I seen the trilogy in forever, uh, so it's actually nice I'm, to read the book because it, the storyline is familiar to me. But the sequencing is not familiar, and there are lots of scenes that I realize, oh yeah, I did. I remember this kind of from the movie, but not super well. So this is, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing not exactly for the first time, but with fresh eyes, and it's pretty nice. Now, when you read, yes. uh, when you read literature like this, you're reading the Return of the King, like you said. Are you a, a uh, kind of a binge reader? Like you get into it and you turn through, you know, a quarter of the book in a night. Or are you a slow, like, let, let me read a chapter and sort of digest this and I'll try another chapter tomorrow type of reader? Um, a little bit more of the former than okay. the latter, but not entirely so. It depends on the season. So I also teach at our homeschool co-op. I have for years um, English literature. And so that's a busy season for me. So I'm sure. both homeschooling my kids yep. and writing and teaching. And so I read when I can in the nooks and crannies of my time. Right now we're talking in the summer. So I have more time to binge read. So I read... I, I kind of save my bigger books in the summer uh, because that's just what I can do, you know, sure, yeah. or that's when I can do them. Um, and so I will read chapters at a time, but, you know, it's a life stage thing, too. I And I, I say this to people all the time who, especially when you have younger kids who just get frustrated because you don't have any time to yourself that my youngest is now 13. And so I tend to be one of the earliest to go uh goers to bed in my sure, household yeah, now that was yeah. not the case for many years right and so yeah i read when i can and i will devour entire books i do tend to read a nonfiction and a fiction at the same time N not literally you know what i mean yep. like in the morning i'll read a nonfiction. i tend to read fiction at night that kind of thing okay so it takes me a while and but what what is your preferred like preferred genre of nonfiction? are you a history person or psychology mm -hmm. biography yeah. Again, it depends on the mood and okay. the season I'm in. Like, I, I kind of nerd out on things. Like, I, I deep dive a topic and then I'm like, all right, I'm burned out on it. Mm -hmm. So even among history, it, it might even be a particular genre. Like, it wasn't, I mean, up to a few weeks ago, I was super invested in learning about the Roman Empire, the rise nice. and fall of the yeah. Empire. I took this class online uh, for free from Hillsdale because yep. I just wanted to learn all I could. So well, I was, there's, there's a I giant corpus of 
history on the Roman Empire. So you could read for a lifetime and still not exhaust the things that have been written. So that's at least a, uh-huh. it's at least a good interest to have if you're willing to read to support it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I think I was getting to the point where I was just starting to mix up names and emperors and and senators and and philosophers. And not so much that I was confused. I was just sort of like, okay, I want to actually digest this now. Yeah. I don't want to just yeah. consume, consume, consume without like letting it actually kind of do its work in me. So then I just paused for a while. Um, I like to read, um, I mean, sometimes it'll get really practical, you know, like personal finance or working for yourself. And then I I get so over that because it's very, it can just, it can tip over into kind of a certain culture of productivity at all costs. I I can't do that really practical stuff. Every time I try, I just can't. I get like two chapters (laughs) in and just, just totally lose interest. Yeah. 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 I totally get that. I completely get that. Um, and then, yeah, I do, I like um, a lot of theology, a lot of philosophy. I mean, as a Catholic convert, and maybe you'll appreciate this too, I feel like there's a whole canon of literature that I will never finish because I didn't know it existed yep. until I became Catholic. That it's like, what? All these amazing works of theology are out there for for me just to read at my disposal. So I feel almost like I'm playing catch up a little bit with that. Oh, for sure. But, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I think the way I feel about it is that I'll never, I'll never be caught up. I'm playing catch up. Uh, but I think, and, mm-hmm. and I feel that way in particular because I'm a convert, but even if I was a cradle Catholic, I'd still be playing catch up and there's no way you can catch up. There's just an endless, I guess that's true. There's an endless world out there for you. Um, that's let's, true. Let's, uh, you, you raise an interesting point though. You are a convert. And uh, the last time we uh-huh. spoke to you, which, um, I don't think I mentioned the date, but if anyone wants to go back and listen to the episode that Tish recorded with <laughs> Sally and I, it's on our old vernacular feed. I'll drop a link in the show notes. Episode 81, it aired March 26th, 2018. It's called Travel, Mental Health, and Being Human. And we talked, among other things, about um, Tish and her husband traveling around the world with kids when their youngest was four. So I think basically just out of diapers. Like, that was the, that was, I think, if I remember you saying this correctly uh, several years ago, I think that was like the line. Once the, once the, kid, the youngest was out of diapers, it was like, okay, great, we can, we can live around the world for a year. Yep. So that's what you did, packed up lived around the world for a year, kind of raised, raised your kids, uh, understanding various cultures around the world. It was just such a, such a cool thing. And we'd love to do something like that at some point. Um, but when we talked to you, you were Anglican. And I, I mean, to my knowledge at that point, at least pretty, pretty satisfied being Anglican and feeling pretty at home. Maybe there was discontent under the surface. We can talk about that, that, that you had not communicated uh, to us, but, um, that was where you were then. And then Two years ago, a little more, two, almost two and a half years ago, you became Catholic. And when mm-hmm. I saw this, uh, when I saw you announce this publicly, I was, of course, you know, overjoyed because this was a similar path to my own and my wife's. We became Catholic in 2015, and it's always so it's just so delightful seeing someone someone yeah. come home. Yeah, and I have to remember that myself because I'm at that stage two and a half years in where the majority <laughs> of my community is still Protestant, you yeah. know, because yeah. I'm around friends that I have to, like I literally have been um recognizing this summer as a summer of patience like cultivating patience you know suffering well because I just want my friends to see what I see and it's kind of one of those once you see it you can't unsee it things yeah um as part of my story that uh yeah I I'm so grateful so so grateful for for being catholic that I and I never in a million years would have thought this like back when we were talking I don't think being Catholic was on our radar. However, I will say it was kind of way deep in the recesses of my brain and my sure. soul and my heart, but I don't think I labeled it that at the time. Um, I think there was just a little bit of questioning that then I can see the steps, you know, that took. Like, I remember we became Anglican at, I don't know, 2016, maybe something like that. And I even remember during the it's kind of their equivalent of rcia it's not as intense it's a little bit more like a protestant version of church membership you know i mean there is a confirmation service where you're you know you get the blessing of the bishop but that kind of thing um where i just remember thinking you know i'd hear about the via media and Mm -hmm. they would draw that compass rose and on one side i don't remember if it was like evangelical on the other side was catholic i think and i remember thinking like oh i am way more drawn to that side yeah and then by the that evening, I remember thinking like, is this just safe Catholic? I think it is. I think this is like the Catholic I feel like I can tell my parents yep. about because they won't put us on a prayer list, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. 
because they don't even really know what Anglican is, but they know what Catholic but is. But they know, they know and, it's not Catholic, and, and that's enough, right? And that's enough, yeah. right? In fact, during our, I mean, I we didn't really deep dive into orthodoxy, but I toyed with the idea of like back when it seemed like God was leading us to to join the Catholic Church, that thought maybe it's orthodoxy because orthodoxy at least even felt safer to say. Yeah, it just seemed you know like oh yeah, it's weird. They like incense. They have it's just beards, mysterious but they to still a don't Protestant, really, right? It's mysterious. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's edgy. It's um, not but Catholic. Roman. Yes, there's just so much, so much baggage. You know, when I think of the idea of, of you know, bearing fruit or, or tilling a soil, I feel like for several years, at least, if you grew up in the school of thought I did in the church type of church I did, um, plowing the field looks like chucking rocks yeah. for several years. It's like chucking these misconceptions more than anything. It's not even like here's here's what it means to be Catholic. Let's read through the Catechism. It's like no, they don't worship Mary, and this is what why no they don't you know what fill in the blank you know you know all the you know all the misconceptions um and so i had to go through that for quite a while before i was ready to even start plowing the field and what was your process for that because we had a similar one and ours was literally reading the catechism (laughs) and we had a priest this is when we were living in oxford we were both um doing graduate school Mm -hmm. uh and we would read a so some predetermined section of the catechism and then meet with this priest two on one just to receive instruction and and answer any questions we had and we had this system in the catechism where we would i think exclamation points in the margins for a passage that we particularly thought was beautiful or that we agreed with or we thought was a beautiful formulation of the truth that we had not heard articulated that way and we had a question mark that we would put in the margins if there was something we weren't sure about or disagreed with and mm-hmm. and that was our system basically. And then we would take that to the instruction with the priest, and we would just ask it, you know, hey, what, what's what's this yep. about? Why does it say this? Why does it why does it refer to Mary this way or whatever the you know, purgatory, whatever the issue was? Um, yep. But that was a super helpful exercise because, like you said, it allowed us to sort of obliterate a lot of the misconceptions that we had and really hone in on the few key aspects that were remaining objections for us, and then be able to talk yep. through those. And to be sure, I mean, a lot of that, it's not like he just solved all of our problems right then. Um, but over time, it, it's a process. Over time, yeah, mm-hmm. every every one of our objections was was answered and then some. So what was yeah, the, what, yeah, what was the process sounds, for you? It sounds remarkably similar to ours. So, I mean, quote, luckily, this was at the start of COVID. Hey. <laughs> so, um, you know, I could back up farther than that but let's just say this is at late 2019 early 2020 kyle and i we had been involved in our local anglican church for a while and we were just feeling less and less like like it was the right fit but you know and by this point i had really been doing the internet deep dive of questions you know doing the the father mike short q a youtube videos the catholic answers the you know just like as i thought of questions my podcast co-host seth haynes had been very Catholic curious for a while. Uh, we had traveled to Italy with a group of us together in 2014, and he was just like, check out all this. And I, at the time, I just thought it was weird. You know, like, yeah, right. why is St. Catherine's finger there? That's really gross. Yep. You know, in my mind, I thought it was weird. He thought it was cool, but it left an impression on me. So, you know, fast forward, I was totally interested in being Catholic, but it just felt so scary at the time. Um, I I knew I was dissatisfied, though with being Anglican because of ultimately the idea is authority. Like I just, the question of says who kept coming up all the time. I was tired of being my own Pope. You know, there was just a lot of that, that like spiritual homelessness to the point where it got to the, it got to where I almost felt like, okay, it's either something like the Catholic church or nothing. Like, because otherwise, doesn't this feel like dress up? Doesn't this feel like playing along to with no solid foundation and I'm, that's not to disparage anybody who's anglican this is me okay. but um the lockdowns happened and suddenly we weren't going to church in person and everything was done virtually and i you know kyle and i said maybe now's the time where we really start digging into this you know we almost have the freedom in a weird way yeah to start asking all our questions and and have the time he let me do a lot of the researching and I would come to him with the answers that I had found, but he was a little less proactive about it until COVID. So we started looking more and more. 
we ended up contacting our local parish. They recommended, because they weren't meeting in person either, but they recommended, you know, watch the mass weekly and then we'll start our CIA and it might be on Zoom, but we'll try to do it in person, do the whole early COVID stuff. Yep. Um, well, so we were doing that and I get that there are people that have good RCIA experiences, but ours was not one of them. I mean, I don't know those you people know, who have good experiences. I've never heard about a I've good heard RCIA of a handful. experience. Yeah. It's so I know. It's to so me, this rough. is a serious issue. It's a, it, this it, is it a is. serious issue in the church. I mean, I joke about it, but it really uh, is because w- my friends who are yeah. Catholic curious, I can very rarely say, yeah, ask your priest about RCIA. It's more just like, oh, do I dare? Like, I know that's the process. I do I dare steer them that way? Because it'll probably drive them further away. Yes, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And so I was, you know, we were going to this, but Kyle and I would leave just thinking after the meeting, like, okay, well and good. You know, a lot of it was, even if it wasn't out, outright, like just poorly presented, it was also just very basic. Like we're good on on there being a God. Oh uh, yeah, we're good or even like on... Trinitarian theology. Yeah, we got that, yep. Yeah, we were good on the mere Christianity. Yep. We wanted to get to the weird Catholic stuff is yep. what we would describe it, you know? And so- I told this to our mutual friend, Andrew Predeprin, one day. Yeah. I told him, okay, this is my situation. I'm feeling just frustrated and stuck. And he suggested, hey, I have a former uh, Anglican turned Catholic priest friend of mine who's actually down in Houston for the ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter. Maybe reach out to him. Nice. Good. I did. I did. We started meeting with him on Zoom. Total complete game changer day. so yeah, it yeah. was over zoom but he just said read the catechism and then come to me with your questions wow like, this is very you. similar so yeah this is great it was exactly like that we would paper clip you know the little or put a little sticky note on the areas of like okay we want to talk about this we want to figure out indulgences we want to figure out you know all these weird things um and then there i it was like around christmas time when he finally just said i think you guys are ready but it's not because i th- think all your questions are answered. I mm-hmm. think it's just now time to continue asking those questions, but fully within the church. Yep. So, um, yeah, February 5th, 2021, we drove to Houston and all five of us- That's so uh, cool. Were, I don't know, yeah. became Catholic. I don't know if you know Haley Stewart. Yep. She's one of my really good internet friends. Anyway, she was my godmother. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if so she, she, I was, wondering she was one of the she, four writers that you do the Zoom stuff with. She is. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. She's one of them. Yeah, That's yeah. great. You probably know them all. Um, and so, you know, they came in, the Stewarts, and it was a great, it was really cool. It was just us, you know, because it was COVID. Beautiful cathedral. I mean, it, it, it was it was a remarkable experience. So we we're officially part of the ordinariate. There is no ordinariate parish fully functioning yet sure, in the Austin yeah. area, which is where I am. But there's one being formed right now. I heard about that. Yeah, and, that's great. Are you going to be involved in that one? Oh man, we went, and it felt. I mean, I know the cheesy phrase of coming home. Yeah, that people say when they become Catholic. But this was the first time where it felt like this is. I think we could be that's so cool. part of this. Yeah, great. And it's a long drive. But I don't know. It kind of feels worth it. We'll see. I love I love the Catholic concept of the local parish. I uh-huh. really do. And Kyle and I both feel really specifically called to be in our particular town. So it feels a little weird to say, but then we would go to mass or at least be involved in a parish that's not in this area. But I'm also very aware that our first vocation is um, to be our kids' parents. Yep. And good liturgy matters. Yep. And, you know, the Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi idea. And that that matters. And so um, I think it might be worth it for a while. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you uh, on the local parish thing, but also that, you know, the ordinariate is your tradition, especially since you guys legitimately did come from Anglicanism. Yeah. So that is your local parish in that respect. That's true. You know, that is true. And so, you know, maybe you guys can go there and then you can plant another ordinary parish in Georgetown. You know, you can be a part of, of that I one. I mean, I think. So far, what I was surprised about is so many people that I had met afterwards, you know, it was very, we had the donuts afterwards. So it was like, oh, yeah, like, like what we used to do at our Anglican right, church. Right. But anyway, um, everybody was like from our area, you know, everyone drove 45 minutes yep. in. So it was like, yeah, I think there are a lot of people up in our neck of the woods that are really eager for sure to, to yeah. be part of the ordinary. And so we'll see. Well, I've talked we'll about see. this on a couple of podcasts. I don't know if you've heard, but um, our family is now attending a Byzantine Catholic parish and 
They, oh, cool. They have sim- okay. similar limitations in that there are not many of them, so people drive really far. And so we drive, I think, 30 minutes, and we are certainly not the closest, but we're one of the closer ones. There are others who drive wow. 45 or 60 minutes just to get to Divine Liturgy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if that's your if that's your tradition, if you're a member of that rite, or in your case, you know, remember the personal ordinary, then that's your, that's your parish. So I think the calculation yeah. becomes a little yeah. bit different, you know? That is true. That's an that's an excellent point. That makes me feel better. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I was, we were actually, we had dinner last night with some of our closest friends who are still Anglican and they were asking like, so wait, why do you drive all the way to, to go there and not just to the parish that's five minutes away? And it was hard to explain. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you ever have those times when you're, when you have these great conversations in your head afterwards? Oh, you know? of course. Yeah, like absolutely. I, this is exactly what I meant to say. It yes. was like that. Yep. Um, so what you just said was kind of what I meant to say. But at the time I was like, you yeah, know, good liturgy matters. And they were like, yeah, but that, anyway. Yeah. Right. And it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's especially hard to have those conversations if the person does not have the same conviction that good liturgy matters because they'll be like, why? You know, like good music matters yeah. or like just like the conviction of the heart matters. But liturgy is like, what is liturgy, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's... we kind of got into Kyle and I afterwards are saying it really comes down to the, like the telos of meeting. Like, what is it we get together to do? Like, yes. what is the purpose? The t- the telos of it. And if it's different, you know, you can uh, you can explain all these things to your Protestant brothers and sisters, but it, if they don't see it as the sacrifice of a mass, it's hard to explain. Because, like, why can't you just get together if if the the sermon is is you know really strong or the music is great or whatever isn't that enough or aren't the you know it's it's hard to explain yes because it's almost like we use the same words but we mean different things going mm-hmm. to church is something else yep. you know yep yeah no, I, I totally yeah i totally agree and <laughs> had have had similar conversations like that with people who just don't have the same don't start from the same presuppositions that i do so it's hard to sort of find common ground yeah um so now yeah. you're two and a half years removed from your conversion mm-hmm. there are two things that i think happen um, certainly not to everyone, but happens sometimes with converts. I was certainly in one of these camps. Um, and I'm curious to know if you have found yourself in either of the two. The one is you have this sort of buyer's remorse. You convert, you find yourself now Catholic. And at first you think, wow, this is amazing. I'm thinking of uh, a man who uh, I'm actually going to have, have on the podcast soon, who has been through this process and back again. Uh, his name is Dr. Thomas Ward. Ben. Um, he was recently on the Pines with Aquinas podcast. He's coming on um, Credo to talk about John Duns Scotus, but he has this really interesting path. Oh yes, of, I listened to that. Okay, yep. great. So he has yep. this path of Anglican to Catholic to Anglican again and back to Catholic, and now he's now he says he's here to stay, and and uh, obviously we rejoice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had sort of this buyer's remorse, and I'm looking forward to talking about that more with him. And I think it's not an uncommon path. Now I think it's it is rather uncommon for people to go back to where they came from, and then certainly very uncommon to go yet back one more time. Um, but it is, I think, fairly common to get to where you are and be like, wow, this liturgy is terrible. Like what I had in the Anglican church was so much better. Why did I switch? Is this actually better for my family? You know, what's going on here? And I think those seeds of doubt come in and you maybe have some buyer's remorse. That's, that's one, one possible outcome. The other one, normally these don't happen at the same time. And I think the reasons will be evident. But the other one that I've seen, and this is the one that I think I more resonated with in the first several years after my conversion, is this sort of triumphalism. Um, uh, and certainly in my case, I can speak to only my experience. Uh, this triumphalism was uh, accompanied by a sense of spiritual pride that like, I've figured this out. Mm-hmm. I've come home. I've gotten the answers and it's so great. And everyone else uh, in my old tradition should figure this out as well. And so you can see how this makes conversations with, for example, family, um, very, very difficult. And if I could go back and have those conversations all over again, I definitely would. Um, because I, you know, there, there were some, there were some hurtful conversations, mostly hurtful because of things that I said that, uh, that I should not have said, or I should have said it in a different way. And now I think with the benefit of eight years post-conversion, I no longer have that triumphalism. I obviously still think that, that the Catholic church is the church that Christ founded, but I can also 100% see how someone could reasonably come to a different conclusion on that question. And so I don't have this triumphalism. Mm-hmm. I more have, I think, just a, a gratitude. To like, God, thank you for showing me. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for revealing this to yeah. me and leading me here. And I prayed that you would lead this person here and this person here, you know, to, to follow, to, to come to these same conclusions and follow them to their to their outcome. So I'm curious, do, do, yeah. you, do you feel like you identify with one <laughs> of those or the other? Almost a casserole of both, but it depends on the time. I feel the buyer's remorse perhaps more on 
the Sunday mass. Yes. Time, you know, yes. like going to church as a family where um, we really had to watch ourselves, um, Kyle and I, from um, armchair quarterbacking the mass as well as um, just Protestantizing it, like yes. almost like what's in it for me. It was a really that, that that's still a struggle, you know, like what did we think of the music and the homily and, you know, and you know, one of the great appeals of the idea of the mass is at minimum, it's not about you, you know? Yes. And, and that was such a relief for me, you know, like this is not about me in the slightest. And yet I found myself just really having to shed some of those inclinations I've had my whole life of, of, you know, as soon as church stops scratching your itch, it's time to find a new church kind of thing. Um, so that was hard to go, as you said, from Anglicanism to Catholicism. I think it might have been a little different if we went to a church we were already really unhappy with when it came to maybe the trappings, mm -hmm. you know, but our Anglican church for all its faults or the things we didn't love about it, they did the, um, the aesthetics yes. were really great, you know. And so we missed that. It did feel like it was like, especially whenever you consider the transcendentals that the Catholic Church holds so high, um, beauty being one of them. And in fact, I really like how Bishop Barron talks about in our the modern world. It tends to start with beauty, which leads yeah. to goodness, which leads to truth and not the other way around. Yes. Where that is true. I think beauty captured me, but not not the on a local level. Right. And so... Here I am, you know, joining the church that painted the Sistine Chapel right, and right. and I'm going to this really, you know, not great looking local parish building with not great singing and a really terrible homily that my 15 year old could have given better, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. And so that was a hard thing. And I feel terrible saying this, but I know I'm not alone in having that experience. So. Oh, definitely not. not you know, and I I have since met this parish priest that he is a, a lovely man, you know, really and truly he has a great heart. <sighs> it's a it's a church wide problem, a capital C church wide problem, I realize. So I, I would have that. But then I would feel a triumphalism, I think, in my devotional life or yeah. even just whenever I would start ask, like thinking of more questions I would have and I would go to the Internet or I'd go to books and I would just think like, oh, my gosh, what a library of truths here. And I would be tempted to feel that like. This is so almost like like what I was saying earlier. It's so obvious. Why can't you see it? Right. And a lack of patience, a lack of charity, mm -hmm. maybe with my brothers and sisters who, I, you know, five years ago, I was right there. Exactly. It's not like, yeah. right. I mean, it's a form of Gnosticism, almost like you secret knowledge. And uh, and I guess I, I I'm really grateful. There is I don't know if you know Keith Nestor. He he has a YouTube channel and he's a he's a convert as well. And he became Catholic, I think, in 2017. And he wrote this book that was just called Your First Year to Being Catholic or something kind of tongue-in-cheek like that. And the first thing he said was, like, first and foremost, your first year, just be Catholic. Mm. Like, do not become an apologist. Yes, right. Do not start writing on Facebook and getting in debates with your aunt, you know, that kind of thing. Just, you know, and he said, honestly, the best witness to your parents or relatives who think you've gone crazy is be a better Christian. Like, truly be live out your faith better than before that's going to be a way more effective <laughs> witness to um the church and her truth than than these talking point zingers that you lay out on facebook or you know wherever it is you you do your thing and i'm really glad he said that because yeah. at this point i'm you know i i had a substack I, I do have a substack you know podcast all this thing it would have been really tempting for me to be like okay this is my new you know shtick on the internet and Two and a half years in, and I'm like, yeah, I'm still not ready to say much more than my own story because yep. I'm not ready yet. Yep. So anyway, it's a mix of that triumphalism, a mix of that frustration, buyer's remorse, and a little bit, and then ultimately just gratitude, really yeah. deep gratitude. I think that makes, so, that, yeah. that that absolutely makes sense. I think um, for me, a turning point in my, in that sort of triumphalism was several years ago when my mom passed away and she passed away after a mm -hmm. three-year battle with cancer. And um, I've I've kind of told at least parts of the story before, so I won't repeat all of it. But just to to make it very brief, the final six months of her struggle were just very very painful, filled with tons of suffering. Yeah. And it was during a time she was in this 
you know, very promising treatment that was, that offered real like curative potential. And the doctors are very optimistic. I think like the, the, you know, they never like to put numbers, but the literature is like 60% of the time this treatment is curative. Uh, and so we were all very optimistic and it was, it's a very tough treatment to go through. So she was just suffering a ton and it ended up not being curative at all. In fact, uh, you know, basically the, the day she wrapped up her treatment and was being discharged from the hospital, they found that the cancer was just ravaging her entire nervous system. Uh, and she passed, she like slipped into unconsciousness and passed away within like 24 hours of that. Um, no, she passed away actually weeks later, but she slipped into unconsciousness and never woke up and then passed away. But the, the reason why this was, um, this was, this had such an impact on my life is because my mom was not Catholic. She was definitely moving that direction. Uh, I don't know if my dad would totally agree with his characterization, but she was like listening to relevant radio and listening to the Patrick Madrid show and listening to Catholic music and asking me questions about Catholic theology. So to my mind, at least she was, she was, you know, Catholic curious, as you said, but she was just falling more and more in love with Jesus every day while she was going through this suffering. And I saw the suffering. Um, I saw her embrace her suffering and I saw God just use that to transform her and make her into a holier person. Um, in a way that I just hadn't, you know, I, like I hadn't actually seen that process up close before, but it gave me a lot more humility in my own walk with God, because now I think, I think in some ways that sort of lifted the veil from my eyes. And now I can look at, you know, Tim Keller just passed away. I can look at Tim Keller and say, that man was right. so much holier than I am. Like, I hope I'm as holy as he right. is when I die. I probably won't get there, but I hope I am. And so that really, right. that really helped me steer away from this triumphalism saying like, yes, I'm on this side of the yep. tiber now because I figured it out. Because I have, I have nothing to, I have nothing to brag about. I've like, you know, the only thing I can boast in like Paul is Christ. Uh, and I can boast yeah. that, that Christ grabbed me and pulled me over here to where I am. Yeah. Um, and so, so that, that was formative for me in avoiding this sort of triumphalism. And I think that's why now I just, yeah, I'm, I'm really not interested in the, I'm interested in debates. I'm interested in apologetics for sure. I'm not interested in this sort of triumphalism and this, uh, like, you know, this, this sort of taunting style of discussion or this triumphalist, um, arrogant way of doing apologetics that insists I have nothing to learn from my Protestant brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I think at minimum, I just am so grateful for the profound peace I have at no longer being my own Pope. I think that yeah. is such a huge thing for me that it's given me so much more joy and so much more peace and so much more charity. Um, and perseverance, like basically the virtues. It's, it's helped me cultivate virtue by nature of just what the church is and her sacraments that who am I to boast in anything? I, you know, it's like, I just want my brothers and sisters to join in the party, but I'm not God. He, you know, God knows where everybody's at. <laughs> and yeah. if, if he wanted, I mean, he's infinitely more patient than I ever could be. So right. if he wanted these people that I love to be Catholic, he would make them Catholic. And so it's not, you know, I have to trust that God knows more than I do, you know? That's right. Um, because, yeah, no, and I completely agree. There are some astoundingly amazing brothers and sisters on the Protestant side that I am profoundly grateful for, you know, teaching me what mm -hmm. it looks like to live well. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for sure. I, I, yeah, people in my in my family, in my, in my, my side and my wife's side, um, yeah, just who are really, really holy. And I look at them and think, wow, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Um, I know, yeah. we're, I know we're almost out of time. I do want to talk to you about this, this smartphone, dumb phone thing. Uh, cause I know you've written about it <laughs> yeah. recently. You've talked about it on your podcast. Um, you are, uh, and you, you've mentioned it to me over email as well, cause it ties into the hollow thing and how you can't have hollow on a, yeah, a non-smartphone. Yeah. So I think it's the wise phone that you're going for, right? You're going to be on a wise, or you already are it on is. a wise phone. Well, I've ordered it. I'm still okay. waiting for it to come. Okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. So I've wanted one for quite a while, but yeah, actually I first saw it on Pines with Aquinas. Yes, I think me also. too. Yeah. That's exactly where I was really I found out intrigued. About it. Yeah. I was, I was super intrigued. I was, and I had long, I had thought about this before, this idea of what inconvenience am I willing to give up for a more beautiful life? This idea of like, yeah, it's going to be harder. It's going to mm -hmm. be harder to check into a flight. It's going to be harder to, to go to the grocery store, but is that maybe something I'm willing to pay, you know, for the price of having, not having something in my pocket that is asking me to succumb to all sorts of vices, really, yes. uh, or at least attempt me in that way. And so I'm going to give it a whirl. And what really got me over the, the, the 
the hesitation on just taking the plunge is my son, who's my middle guy. He is 15 and it was last Christmas. So at the time we're talking, it's been seven months already. Um, he had just one of our, his grandparents' old phones. You know, okay. we don't give our kids new phones at all, but he was out on a walk by himself and he just wanted to listen to a podcast or something. We're like, great. We live in a very walkable little neighborhood and he was walking along the river and he fell in. <laughs> and he he came back and he was he thought it was hilarious. So he was not embarrassed or mortified. He thought it was funny, but it killed his phone, you know. Yep. And so he's like, well, there's my phone. I don't want to don't get me a new one. Wow. Like he was really and truly, I don't want yeah. a new phone. Yeah, he was it was almost like he he knew he didn't want one. He just needed the permission to just not have one, you know. And so, yeah, but he had wanted a wise phone because of you know some of the features where you can still text and camera and you can play the, there's an audio feature on it um so it's like basically all the thing the bare minimum things we want anyway yeah. all that to say um there is that idea of of a tool and an idea of a machine you know and a tool is some is something that allows us to do a thing better as a human being. So like a shovel would be a tool. It helps us dig a hole better than our bare hands. Um, and machines can do that too, but machines can just slide into a slippery slope of doing the thing for you. Yes. And so I find sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time smartphones are built in such a way as to replace you. Um, you know, when you want to know something, all you have to do is look it up from the convenience of whatever's in your back pocket. Um, and so you're left, you, you, you're deprived of the, the gift of just sitting there and wondering okay. about a thing. Um, there's a lot of examples, but yeah, so I want to give it a whirl. Um, I had someone on my show, um, named Autumn Kern. She's really fascinating. She's this Orthodox, um, homeschool. She, she YouTube's about homeschool and she's just really great. And she switched to a dumb phone and she just talked about all the benefits and how she'll never go back. And I don't know, just it put me over the edge. So what I did is I actually signed into Hallo on the laptop, which I didn't know you could yeah, do. Yep. I had no idea. And so I bookmarked it on my my web browser. Cool. So I'm trying to cultivate the habit of accessing it for my laptop, even though I still use it daily on my walks and yep. on my errands. So that will be something I will miss, but I understand that <laughs> that's the price. Maybe maybe there's a world. I will still forever subscribe to Halo because it's so great. That's I'm awesome. not just saying Thank that because you work for them. Maybe there's a world <laughs> in which uh, you know we can work with the wise phone guys and get Hollow. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it feels like it would dovetail well. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of it's tempting to me. Uh, my wife and I talk about this quite a bit. For one, the wise phones are pretty expensive, so there is a there's a significant yeah. investment um, there. So we haven't done yep. it yet. Second, my I don't have a separate work phone, and a lot of the stuff that I use for work is on my phone now do i need that probably not but even like even something as simple as um uh we work we have a we work office in chicago uh and um when i went there we we are just moving into this office when i went through the day they were like yeah just uh the member the access card is on your phone just web, web your phone download the we work app and i was like what right. if i didn't yep. have this you know but i need it um need it for that to get into the office i so, know so there's things like that yeah. like it becomes you're right it becomes it becomes a crutch it becomes so a part of you um, there's a technologist who says that we're already living in the bionic age because we already have technology augmented humans because every single one of us has one of these and uses it to do things that we <laughs> could not otherwise do. And that's a pretty, yeah, that's a pretty, yeah. that's a true insight, right? It's pretty interesting. Um, I've heard Elon Musk say that actually, he thinks we're already cyborgs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was Musk who yeah. I'm thinking of, but yeah, that's, that's the idea, right? That we all have this digital extension of us that we, we do things with, you know, we can, add great sums in our head and we have access to an almost limitless uh, amount of knowledge on the internet. You know, I was just telling my wife today that w one thing that we could do short of getting a wise phone is lock down every app that's inessential. And like, let's face it, I'm not going to be, I could have the WeWork app. I'm not going to be like browsing the WeWork app, you know, in my spare right. time and just wasting. Right. So, th so there are apps that will not actually waste my time. Um, but I could delete everything that has the potential to do that and, you know, lock down Safari so that uh, I can't access Safari give my wife the password or something like that. Because the thing with Safari is I am a curious person. And when I'm out and about and think like, that's a cool tree or like, that's a, you know, in the city, like that's a cool building in Chicago. Well, I wonder what the building that is. Let me see if I can find out. And I'll just go to Safari and try to find out and find out. And so it kills this sort of, this natural process of wonder. It like just sort of cuts that off yeah. at the source and gives me the answer that I'm looking for right away. Uh, a more healthy right. thing I think would be just be to like marvel in the beauty of this tree that I'm looking at and be like, wow, what is that? I'll have to take in this picture, you know, take a photo of my mind 
And maybe I'll ask, you know, my in-laws are pretty knowledgeable in trees. Maybe I'll ask them next time I see them, like describe this tree to them and they yeah. can tell me what this tree is, you know, probably better than me yeah. just like pulling out Safari and, and, and going to the, the easy button. Podcasts are a big one for me though. Yeah. Obviously I am a podcaster and I love it listening is. to podcasts. So that's a, that's a tough right. one to give up. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't, I know. yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough one, but I'm very intrigued by well, the possibilities. Yeah. It'll, it'll be tough call. You know, their audio player, you can drag and drop MP3 files. So the idea is you can preload your podcast for the day before you head out. So they acknowledge, you know, that there's a benefit to listening to stuff. Yeah. It will be really hard for me, though, because that's about what I do more than anything else is I listen. I even have my routine of like my hallow stuff, my news stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. My podcast, you know, that kind of thing. And that, yep. that'll be that'll be a challenge. For sure. Um, But yeah, I think there is something to be said about does scratching that itch of curiosity build more virtue or just sitting there or cultivating a sense of wonder build more virtue? You know, which one is it? I'm not saying learn, you know, I'm, I am all, I'm a nerd about all sorts of, you know, things that interest me. I have an app right now because I'm, I'm really into gardening that I can take a photo of a plant. And I've heard about this app. I've heard this is amazing. Yeah. 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 I use it all the time out in my garden. Like, cool. is this a weed? Yeah. You know, do I want to pull this or do I want to leave it? Yeah. Um, and so it's so handy. Yeah. But I just think like, but I'm, am I depriving myself of the part of my brain that can just memorize these yes. things? Yes. You know, like, oh yeah, I have looked this up before. I have seen this weed and I don't know. I, I just kind of wonder, are, what is it we're trading in terms of just our cultivation as people. Yeah, there's a book called Stolen Focus by a guy named Johan Hari uh, that I just read a few months ago. And um, that is a nonfiction uh, book that is super interesting because he traces the, um, he traces, what, what does he call it? I think our our attention crisis. Um, attention, yeah, attention. There's, uh-huh. there's, there's, some, there's some phraseology that he uses, but he traces the sort of origins of this and hypothesizes some of the, the um, causal links that have um, shown that Demonstrably, so our short-term retention spans have drastically decreased over the past couple of decades. And one of the main, he has some other, some interesting ideas about like food additives and things like that. But one of the main hypotheses that he advances pretty convincingly, I think, is yeah, we just have technology available to us all the time. We don't have to memorize anything anymore, so we don't. Um, because I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the, mm-hmm. If the brain's a muscle, I mean, it's not actually, but people say that, right? The brain's a muscle; you have to work it. Um, if you don't force yourself to memorize things, you're not going to memorize things. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's not, yeah. It's, it's definitely not that I am against being curious or against learning things, but there's a time and a place. And so the time to learn about a tree and to read all about this specific genus is maybe not like on the walk when you're looking at this tree. Maybe the time to, uh-huh. the time to wonder about that tree is when you're on the walk. And the time to learn about that is when you go, I don't know, to the library yeah. and get a book on trees and read all about that tree. Um, and I think that is, yeah, as you that. described, you know, that that's a more beautiful life. Because uh, I don't really want to be. It's a more beautiful life. I don't yeah. want to be a cyborg, you know. I, I don't want to have my reality mediated right. by my screen. That doesn't sound pleasant. I mean, it isn't pleasant when I and do it. I don't feel is, good about it. Right. In that book, you research at the library is a tool, you know. Yes. So that is a form of technology. So it's not like anti-tech. It's about uh, putting things in the right place. Yes, exactly. You know, the exactly. idea of rightly ordered loves, and so, yeah. I mean, we're depriving ourselves of getting to sit there and just appreciate the beauty of the tree mm-hmm. and memorizing the tree, maybe even because then when we go to the library, we have to remember what those leaves looked like. I don't know, whatever right. it is. Um, because, yeah, I mean, we miss out on those those opportunities more than we realize. I yeah. think, you know, I, I don't know how old you are, but I back in college, I had friends room uh, phone numbers memorized. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it wasn't that long ago. Now, I don't know anybody's number. I barely yeah. know mine and my husband's. Right, I know. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we miss out on a lot. Yeah, uh, it's so true. I mean, and this this conversation has application to things like ChatGPT and the new the new wave of AI coming out with large language models. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not a luddite. I mean, I think this stuff is really cool. Uh, like from a technology standpoint, I think it's very impressive. I think from a mathematical standpoint, it's beautiful um, how we can train lar- large language models. But there's a difference between using that type of technology to to, for example, you know advance um you know billions of possibilities of genomic sequences to figure out what sequences cause cancer so we can figure that out and treat cancer there's a difference between that and yep. you know using it to uh you know replace the data entry job that someone you know gets paid 18 dollars an hour for and feeds their family on right and so like the, the one of one of those is a really interesting novel use of technology that's probably putting technology in its proper place and one of those is actually 
not. It's sort of using the technology as a means of displacement mm-hmm. um, or cost savings, efficiency, whatever. But it, you know, actually is sort of creating a more more dystopian future for us. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of take the school of thought of Dr. Malcolm from Jurassic Park on all this stuff. Like, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Yeah, and yet. I don't know if I like it's all well and good to say that to you, but we haven't shown a great track record culturally in in temperance, no. in, in handling technology and, and new ideas. You know, it, I I don't know if I trust us to say, yeah, this isn't good for us. We should just stop. You yeah. know, um, yeah, that's not what we tend to do. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky thing because I see the good. I I see the bad more. I mean, I start feeling like that you know, the Homer Simpson grandpa yelling at cloud about all the stuff more yeah, and more. Right. Um, just because like when I think of the world, I want my kids to raise their kids in. I just don't see them not knowing how to write or compute any sort of, you know, math or know how to spell anything as being a net positive because right. they can just like use AI. I don't know. That doesn't feel like a more beautiful life to me. I completely agree. Yeah. No, I think so, they're, yeah. to, to, to say, I see some of the positives that we can use this technology to <laughs> to uh, effect uh, is not me saying I approve of this wholeheartedly, right? Like I think on balance, actually, right. I prefer a world without ChatGPT, just because it can do good things and we can oh, maybe yeah. apply it to do good things doesn't mean that we should have it, you know. Um, I mean, look at the cathedrals people were able to make in the medieval period. You know, they they were able to do amazing things with yeah. their brains and their hands. Yeah. So it's not that we need. I mean, I know what we do is some form of that curing cancer. And, and doing things that I don't even understand. So who am I to say? But I mean, humans are pretty remarkable creatures, even without AI. Yeah, they are. So. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers is uh, Damien Chazelle, who is on First Man, La La Land, um, just a new one called Babylon. I don't know. I have. I mean, that one actually looks pretty pretty risque. So I and I haven't seen it. Eh. And probably won't. So I can't say if if his status of my favorite filmmaker would would persist if I saw that one. It looks pretty rough. But he gotcha. has some really okay. interesting. He has some really interesting movies and. First Man and La La Land and Whiplash are three just, I think, fantastic ones. And what he always is exploring, I think, in his films is the cost of greatness. And what does it cost to be great? So First Man's about Neil Armstrong, yeah. First Man on the Moon. Uh, Whiplash is about a jazz drummer. And there's La La Land that explores this, this you know, on-again, off-again romantic relationship between two, um, two wannabe Hollywood stars, one musician, one actress. Uh but he he always he always had, asks these implicit questions, especially at the end of his movies, about like the cost of greatness. Like, what did it take for this person to get it, here, to get great, to become great at what they do, and was it worth it? He always posits this in some sort of like cinematic sequence. And the interesting thing is, in the age of ChatGPT, I wonder if we will lose greatness. We'll just lose this as a as a sort of category of human existence. The the great man and the great woman will disappear from among us because everything will be easy. There will be no challenges. Yeah. And so everything will just be served up to us on a silver platter. Um, yeah. And in that respect, it's sort of like that that quote about, um, what is it? Uh, weak, uh, hard, hard, strong men create hard times. Hard times create, yeah. um, or sorry, weak men create hard times. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create, mm-hmm. what, what, uh, what's the... Uh, I know what, exactly what you're talking about because I've seen the little yeah, yeah. The meme it's a, it's graph a, it's thing. It's a loop. It's like it's kinda, it's I know what like you're talking that, about. Though. I feel like yeah. we're at the point where we are just, we're going to create weak men. Men being like mankind, you know, uh, everyone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Of course. So we'll see. But we are almost out of time. I, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're exceeding um, what I told you this would take. I want to <laughs> give you a chance to plug your newest book, which we haven't even <laughs> talked about, um, but it looks great. Yeah. Um, a, a daily gratitude uh, kind of reflection um, journal. And uh, so, so plug yeah. that and then tell people where they can follow your writing, your work, your podcasting, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then maybe like, just for fun, yeah. give us the, the, the highlight you're most looking forward to about your upcoming Ireland trip here that you're leaving for in 36 hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just about to hop on the plane. Okay. So yeah, I've got a new I, book. I usually do air quotes around book because it's really a journal. I have written 10,000 words in it. That's not much. You know, I've written an explanation, but it's based on the Ignatian practice of examine. So that's been really transformative in my life, this idea. I mean, it's colloquially framed as backward prayer, you know, where you end your day reflecting on the previous 24 hours and asking God to show you where he was during that time and then sitting with that, recognizing it, 
recognizing when you didn't notice it, vowing to do better yep. the next day. That idea. Um, I've since kind of tweaked it to make it work for me as a mom in a postmodern busy world and have framed it as bookends. So nice. questions in the morning, questions in the evening. It's a it's a, a way to cultivate a habit yeah. uh, that I hope leads to virtue. But um, it's asking you to recognize very small things. So I, I will, you know, I mentioned that I'm a high school teacher. One of the things I have my students do is write gratitude lists. It sounds really hokey and like deep thoughts, but I, I tell them, no, 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 this is an actual ancient practice that is yeah. that is essential for your mental health. All sorts of science shows uh, the benefits of gratitude when it comes to depression, anxiety, all, you know, a million things. Um, and, but, you know, you, you can only say my dog and coffee so many times yeah, every day. Sure. And so... I, I think this practice asks us to take a more sacramental, you know, lowercase s, look at life and look at the thing underneath the thing. Yeah. You know, what is it really about that coffee or my dog that I'm grateful for? And um, and to zero in and get really specific so that you start noticing all the tiny good things in your life that God gives you all day long, most of which we really and truly don't notice. And so it's it's a basic concept of that along with ideas of, naming truths in your life so that you at least leave the house or leave to start your day with one true thing playing in your head mm -hmm. because we we battle lies all day long and um yeah so it's it's a journal that explains the process along with lots of passages from people way smarter than me who are all from much you know longer ago and I really like it a lot. Like I would not create something like this if I didn't genuinely use it myself. Yeah. So I I actually find it to be genuinely useful. Like it's on my nightstand. Um, and so, and they did a great job. It's it's actually nice looking. In fact, I wanted it to be as, you know, gender neutral as possible so that men felt just as comfortable using this. It's not frilly. It's not it's one not of those like, like, a, like It's not a feminine journals. color. It's a pretty neutral color. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah, it it's, doesn't have a picture of, like the back of a woman looking out a window, nothing like that, <laughs> you know, it's very, anyway, so um, that's the book that's coming out. You wanted me to say, oh yes, so I'm working on lots of other things all the time. I've got a lot of irons in the fire. I'm working on a fiction book and a nonfiction book. Nice. I don't know when those will be done, but I am chugging away at those. But um, where I mostly write regularly is on my sub stack, even though I am on my month long break, which I take every year. So um, but I'll I'll dust that off and get right back to it. So uh, honestly, everything is linked to my podcast, my books, my Substack at tishoxenwriter.com. So it's just easier to say that. It's just my name is spelled weird. So yeah, and I, I'm gonna put this no in the, I'm gonna put this in the show notes too. So if you want to <laughs> check it out, just go to the Good. show notes okay. and, and click there. So and then and then it's first yeah, Ireland. Yeah, Ireland. Um, you know, I I've been leading trips, groups of people to different places for several years now, and I love the places we go to. But really and truly my favorite parts of these these trips, and this is the case even when I was, you know, just traveling with my family or just on my own or whatever, is the smaller moments whenever you are sitting at the local equivalent of a cafe or pub. Yeah. Like I find all all places around the world have that form of a thing, a small kind of hole in the wall type of place to get a drink or get good local food and just have a good conversation. Yeah. Like that is really and truly my favorite thing to do. So we've got a really cool itinerary. Like we're gonna learn how to bake Irish soda bread and bake scones at a bakery. We're gonna go to a farm and herd, you know, watch sheepdogs and learn how they herd them. We're gonna learn how, you know, Irish coffee and the history there, Inish more, all just really cool experiential things. But I think my favorite part will probably be after we do all those things, getting a drink somewhere and nice. just sitting and talking. Yeah. So I'm also looking forward to highs in the 60s because we'll be we've nice. been watching yeah. the weather. No kidding. And after just Texas summers, it's like a dream. The idea of like, we can't even fathom right now wearing anything with sleeves. So right, right. <laughs> to us, it sounds delightful to be to be a summer cooler right now. That's uh, I was sharing before that um, before we started recording that, you know, we look back on our times in Austin, which with with great fondness because we love living in Austin. But man, the summers are just another yeah. thing entirely. And uh, yeah, they're I, brutal. Uh, I'm glad they you really guys are. can escape yep. the heat for a bit. It's great. <laughs> well, thank you so much, yeah. Tish, for the yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, it was great to chat with you, as always. Uh, safe travels to Ireland. Uh, hopefully it is as wonderful as as you uh, you you hope and help you help you many of those those little conversations and pubs across Ireland. 
Are you a fan of Guinness? I'm not. I'm not really a, a stout beer guy. Um, I like it. I like it better over there. Okay, meaning That's, it tastes yeah it, a little better. It's different over so, there for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully it's you can kind get of some... a win in Dublin sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. All right. Well, hopefully you have some yeah. good good Guinness over there. What's the? I mean, what's the? Um, yeah. What's the? What's the staple food? Like the the Brits have bangers and mash. What's the? What do you get in an Irish pub? Like. What is it there? It's kind of it's very British to me, which I know I would be crucified for saying. Um, meat and potatoes, some form yeah. of that, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like got yeah. your starch, got your meat, so. good to go. Wash, yeah. wash it down with the yeah. Guinness. All right, good. Well, I hope it's a fun time. Right. Uh, safe travels. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Thanks. and until next time, to my listeners, God bless you. Mm-hmm.